Welcome back to another episode of the Blacktop Podcast. The boys are back in town. I got all th- we got all three of us here today. It's gonna be a good night when all three of us are cooking. Shit, you know it's only right. All right, boys, what's up? It's been the longest of minutes since uh, we've all been together. Like it's been like two weeks, right? Since <laughs> <we've> been- <laughs> Like, like our schedules just don't match up, but we yeah. are together. I'm happy. Talk with the boys, some more basketball stuff, you know, Sheehan. But uh, we're solid. I'm excited to be back with uh, DJ and Christian, the Chuggy Bubbles. Chevy, Chevy, Yeah, Christian, what up, yo? Hello. I'm I. I got in a car accident for anyone listening. So what? I don't even know that. Oh, yeah, I got in a car accident, yeah. So, you know, I've been like I've been I've been I've been hanging on. Are Not you get all right, bro? <laughs> yeah, I'm okay. Could be better. But Are you about to get that yeah. bag? Nah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> really, DJ? <laughs> hey, hey Dude, Oh man, I hope you feel better, bro. I don't even know. Yeah, like, was that today? No, it was like no, a few days ago, right? Yeah, Friday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're all right, though. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm alive. And that's all. Yeah, that's, that's all a lot of us going for. But more time at home to watch ball. Hundred <laughs> percent. So the fact that we are all back together, it's only right we started off how we always started. Do any of y'all have a take? Do I have a take right now? Hmm. Okay. Well, while you're thinking, I'll present mine. So, as we know, the second round just started, and one of the premier teams in the second round right now is the Phoenix Suns. That being said, they just fought a very hard series against the Pelicans team that rose from the 10th seed all the way to the 8th seed. You know, I think that shows that how amazing the play-in tournament is and how much it kind of discourages tanking and how much that, you know, Parity in the NBA is at an all-time high in that uh, a lot of the teams are very even in this sense. There's not so much uh, 2017 Golden State Warriors team anymore where it's very clear you're outgunned against them. And we saw how the Pelicans were able to push them to the Suns to six, even though you know Devin Booker's injury definitely had a lot to do with that. The Pelicans were able to capitalize. And in that, my take is the Pelicans are contenders if Zion is back and healthy. Now, as much as everybody wants to clown on Zion and act like this man weighs 400 pounds, if he's back in playing in playing shape and at a decent weight and he's just as dominant as he was, this is a guy who averaged 27 points, led the league in points in the paint in his second year, made an all-star team. I think even if he's, not even if he's like a half of that, but just even if he's, just his presence alone, I think elevates the Pelicans not only as a basketball team, but for that city, in terms of, you know, Zion is looked at as the savior. I mean, we've all seen the highlights. He's, he's like, literally built by the basketball gods. And you can see that as much as he was a, a no-show for the Pelicans this year, it gave them hope in that you saw the emergence of guys like Herb Jones, Jose Alvarado, Trey Murphy. And we even talked about earlier how uh, these aren't necessarily, you know, your first, second, or third options. But they helped to, I think, fill out the most important part of a championship team, which is the depth. You know, because every team has a star. You know, 
Lamelo Ball for the Charlotte Hornets, Giannis Antetokounmpo for the Bucks, etc., etc. The Pelicans were without their star, and they pushed a team that a lot of people already had penciled in as the NBA champions to six games. And now you add that with a guy of Zion's talent on top of a leader like CJ McCollum, and on top of, uh, man, the Slim Reaper, the second coming of Kevin Durant, Brandon Ingram. And not even to mention, there's been, you know, rumors around the world that uh, a certain Jeremy Grant may be uh, up for trade. I saw what the Pelicans potentially offer. I wouldn't take it, but I think just the fact that that's even on the table and you have a guy like Zion coming back, it's an exciting time to be in New Orleans. You know, there's been a lot of drama. There's been a lot of sound coming in and out of the locker room of the organization. But the fact of the matter is, if that team is healthy and everybody's on the same page, they are, in my opinion, 100% in the running to be a threat in the West next year. What do y'all think? I agree 100%. After seeing them, like this year, make that little run into the playoffs... And I think taking those two games that they did in that series and seeing just how, how much, uh, you know, Brandon Ingram kind of came out of his shell a little bit. And, um, you know, I think they have the nice young pieces. We were talking about this before, and Zion, Zion's healthy. I think this is at least the top. This is for sure not. I, I think this is a team that's that's in the playoffs between one and six. And I think the play-in play adds, like, a whole new dynamic in terms of how we look at playoff brackets and seeding. But... Yeah, I think 1-6, to six, I think you're a contender, regardless, because I think you have to be good enough to, to, to you know, escape being in the play-in. And I think that the New Orleans, New Orleans Pelicans have enough talent and enough, uh, enough firepower to get to that spot. Um, I think talent itself is probably quite underrated if Zion's uh, uh, healthy, so... It'll be interesting to see how they, um, you know, how they play next year. Um, my assumption is, did you guys hear about the report too that Zion was going to come back if he got pushed to seven games? So, I mean, if it did get pushed to seven games and he came back, you know, then he's probably at a place where he's going to come into to the, the summer, work a lot on his game, come in ready for training camp and in shape. So that'll be really exciting to see his growth. Number one as a player, and number two, like where he fits into this team moving forward, because I think they've got the pieces to be. Um, Pretty dangerous team in the West. You feel chin? Oh, yeah. I don't really have anything to add on that point. I think, honestly, with... I, I think I've been pretty high on the Pelicans. Like, not this year, but I've kind of, like, seen the, I think, potential of development for a while. Um, I think it'll be the matter of, like, when Zion actually gets back on the team, what it looks like. I think it's a lot like how when Clay got back to the Warriors, how they kind of had to maneuver a lot of things. Just because, obviously, I think when he wasn't healthy this whole season, they were building a system much deeply around like the style of B.I. and uh, C.J. McCollum. And with having someone like Zion, obviously it's like not a disadvantage to their play at all, but it does add a different aspect where he's... You know, I'll correct myself because I know I've said this in the past, but he's not a three-way scorer, right? And he is he is a player in the paint, and um, he obviously needs to be fed the ball. Um, but I I personally don't see a lot of, like, over-the-top playmaking by B.I. and C.J. McCollum, respectfully. So I think it is a matter of um, developing that and then kind of shifting it towards 
like how they've kind of been playing, like keeping what they've been doing from this playoff run and then integrating that with the style of Zion's play will really be the biggest challenge if he does come back healthy. But yeah. Dare I say, point Zion. <laughs> no, but all things set aside, yeah, I just think that they've shown not only just the potential they already have, but when you look at that team, if you add Zion Williamson, personally, I think I think they smoke, the, actually maybe not smoke the Suns, but I mean, we already saw how close it was already. If you add him, that's just another factor that's like, you know, you can't count out them just the fact that they're an ace seed. But moving on, boys, do any of want to volunteer to go next? I got one. Um, well, this is based off of the result that we saw between, uh, you know, Dallas and, and Utah. And, you know, we, we obviously saw the reports of Rudy Gobert saying it's either him or me. <clears throat> I have a feeling Donovan Mitchell's the one that gets traded. And I think my reasoning between that is is Donovan Mitchell is a 6'2 scoring guard who can't play any defense, and we kind of saw him get exposed during that series against Dallas. And it's kind of sad because, you know, everybody wants to put him in superstar status. But you look at the other two guards around the league, Bradley Beal, you know, um, obviously hasn't been in that conversation for a little bit. But, you know, when he is able to turn it on, like he is one of the best two guards in the league on both ends. I mean, not on both ends, but he at least competes. Devin Booker is a guy who gets after it defensively. We've seen that a little bit. And he is obviously an elite offensive player. And then we saw Jalen Brown come into his own a little bit today against against your Bucks. I'm sorry. But, um, yeah, I think Donovan Mitchell gets traded because I think it's much harder to build a team around an undersized scoring guard who can't really guard or or, or defend at a high level versus someone like Rudy Gobert, who's obviously been a historical defensive player of the year. He's a guy that has unique size and ability on the defensive end, has very good touch around the rim. He's actually, in fact, one of the best pick-and-roll players. Just just quite frankly, he doesn't have the guard play where he's been utilized in the right situation. And I think some of that has to do with coaching, and other that has to do with personnel. And I think Utah kind of lacked both of those things to be able to put Rudy Gobert in any in a better situation. I think Rudy's talented as it is. Um, hence all the awards that he's obviously achieved over his career thus far. But I think it's much easier to build a team around him if you can bring in a guard that can play in the pick and roll. You surround him with shooters. Um, you, you've already got a three-level score, in a sense, off the bench in the Jordan Clarkson. I think you can get better pieces overall with a guy like Donovan Mitchell um, just because like uh, his trade value is going to be much higher than a guy like Rudy Gobert's. So yeah, I think if they do choose, uh, I think part of me, part of it is a take, and part of it is me thinking that I believe that Utah should trade Donovan Mitchell if they're having to choose between the two. Um, but ultimately, they might blow it all up completely and trade them both. So we'll see. But if they had to choose between one, I would say that they're probably going to trade Donovan Mitchell and uh, hang on to the the Frenchman. Hundred percent. One of them is definitely getting dull. I think. In my opinion, though, I feel like it's Donovan for two reasons, primarily. One being that I think he's kind of, not necessarily that he's a diva, but you can tell that the way he, he, like, the way he's kind of navigated the game with Utah, I mean, what is it? He averages, like, 
he's had two passes to Rudy or something like an absurdly low amount to the fact that Joe Ingles, a guy that got traded midseason, has more. I think that speaks to an already kind of failing relationship that, if you think about it, kind of started to sour at the beginning of COVID. And now we're kind of like two years past that. And, you know, we've seen how it's led to now. And number two is that I think Rudy Gobert's untradeable in that he's making so much fucking money and when he's already like 29. I think his last year when he's maybe 33 or 34, he's going to get paid like $45 million. You know, we talk about guys like Russell Westbrook who's untradeable. I think when you look at the money that Rudy's making and considering his age, uh, how he's been played off the floor, you know, it's that's another dude I might not touch, but... No, I do agree. Donovan Mitchell's definitely getting traded. I think he goes home. Just the fact that New York is such a big market, and I think they have the pieces to make it happen. Uh, That's an exciting thing. You know, obviously, you know, when you think about guys who have come home to play in New York, you think of guys like Stephon Marbury. Now you're going to add Donovan Mitchell to that. It's going to be a pretty sight. But who knows? For all we know, he might end up on the fucking Pistons, for all we know. <laughs> yeah. Chin, what do you think? They, they might have some pieces, actually. Yeah, like, there's key. a team that could deal for Donovan Mitchell, and it's interesting. I, I do feel like New York is probably the best landing place for him in terms of young pieces they can offer to Utah. And, excuse me, just in terms of what um, New York is looking for, they're just looking for some sort of injection of talent, right? Hmm. Um, they, know, they need a guy hard. that'll draw like box office numbers to what Madison yeah. Square Garden and Artie's capable of doing. Yeah, and that's what Donovan Mitchell does too, right? He is a box office player in a sense. Um, so, but we'll see. I don't know. What do you think, Chin? No, yeah, I think like the points DJ made about the fact that Rudy Gobert makes like a shit ton of money is probably what I think solidifies him being there. Um, he just doesn't have that trade value that Donovan Mitchell has. And I think if the Utah Jazz ideally want to build or continue to build upon like a playoff future, like they're obviously not blowing it up with Rudy Gobert on their team. So I think repoising themselves with a new roster um, is probably the best move. And I think they're not obviously going to do that with trading away Rudy Gobert. So it has to be Donovan Mitchell. Um, I imagine they pretty much... They could, I think, ideally make a guard for guard trade. Um, are they? Is Donovan Mitchell a free agent next year? No, he or got his bag the other year. I think so. He's probably got right. like three-ish years left or something. Right. So he would have to be part in a trade then, I assume. Um, yeah, I mean, I could see them maybe even like doing a package deal for a guy like R.J. Barrett, for example, um, who has kind of been on the cusp of like. Uh, I would say like superstardom, but obviously in the cost of being like an NBA star at some points. Um, and so might be best to kind of swing their talents on that plus a bit of depth um, to really like kind of reinvigorate their roster. And then um, I guess this kind of goes on my take with uh, at least what I was thinking about while we were coming up with takes. But I do think the New York Knicks will return to the playoffs next year. Um I think that point really comes from just kind of like just personal 
imagery on how I think of them. Like it's not, it doesn't really have to do with anything. Um, I guess that has to do with anything logical, I guess you could say. I just think they kind of had an off year and I, they obviously didn't look like they looked like a shell of themselves from the previous year. Um, in this coming year, but I do think there is like really the framework of that team is still made to be very good. Um, and I think like they will make some, like another serious acquisition in the summer. Um, I think they're obviously going to offload some guys as well. Um, Kemba Walker to name a guy most likely. Um, cause I do remember seeing like that earlier in the year when with like, the New York Knicks when they had like I think it was Kevin was it was a Walker and then it was or sorry Kemba and Evan Forney when they had him on the floor with like three of the other Knicks stars it was like the worst defensive lineup in the league um something something along those lines their, their starting lineup I remember there were multiple games where Tibbs would literally play the bench because the starting five was absolutely shit. Yeah, yeah, I think it was that lineup. Yeah, so I th- I think it was really the acquisitions they tried to make this year that really hung them. I think they were really expecting a lot more out of Kemba, and it did the complete opposite for them, um, where it kind of just blew up their team, messed up the team chemistry a lot, and they ended up just doing a lot of experimenting this year. So I don't think they're far off from still being that playoff team. Um, and I still believe Julius Randle is honestly a good player. Um, he's a bit emotionally driven. I think that's something that would have to be worked on, and I don't know what it takes. Maybe bringing in an even more veteran player in his caliber to kind of I don't know, teach him how to be a better player. <laughs> I don't fucking know. Um, there's, there's obviously a lot of things that go on in the background that you can't really analyze from that. But I think they have the framework still, and I've kind of believed in them since that kind of awesome season they had previous to this year. So, yeah, I think they'll. I think they'll be back in the playoffs next year. Free D Rose. Nah, uh, I agree, but I also disagree in the sense that I think the only way they do make it is in the play in. I think we've seen how stacked the Eastern Conference really is and how tight it gets. Because, I mean, what was it? There was like three games separating first and not even like, you know, a bunch of single digit games separating all this seeding. And we saw that, you know, for a lot of the part of the course of the season, the New York Knicks were at least in the play-in race. And then yeah. we've seen how they kind of collapsed. I think, though, yeah, so again, I think the only way they do make the playoffs would be through the play-in. And I think in addition to, like, the Julius Randle thing, I think they only, they'll only get better if Julius Randle, or I think the perfect role for Julius Randle, I think, is a second option. I mean, yeah. he showcased the ability to be top dog. You know, what does that get you? A first round exit with Trey Young and he bows you out the garden. And I think that as great as Julius Randle is, you know, he's he he's not that guy. You know, he he's super solid, has the ability to win you games here and there. But I think when it truly comes down to it, I like him better as my second option. But For sure. yeah, no, I think they have a lot of young guys that they can they can throw in in trade pieces. Quinn and Grimes, Jericho Sims, R.J. Barrett, Emmanuel Quickly. Uh, who's the other 
Miles McBride. They have a lot of they have a lot of assets to that mm-hmm. they can use to flip. So I'm excited because you know New York is obviously the basketball mecca of the world, and uh, the only way that can really ring true is if they're in their playoffs. So I hope it happens, but I just think that with the course of what they've showcased and how they're kind of tied up right now, I think it only happens through the play-in. Definitely. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think the East is going to be really good next year again. And I, oh, yeah. it's, it's, it's going to be very hard for me to see them above um, Toronto, Cleveland, Brooklyn, Chicago, Charlotte. And I think part of, like, and it's kind of a smaller hot take, but I think Detroit will be significantly better next year. Because I really like, I, I, I really like the idea of seeing both Jeremy Grant and Cade Cunningham start healthy. And I think they will be a competitive team next year. With New York, they need a lot of personnel changes around... Because, I mean, they, they have a defensive coach with no defensive personnel. So, I mean, you guys pretty much touched on that. But, yeah, I don't know, man. The East is going to be a killer killer conference again next year. I think it's going to be the deepest one in comparison to the West. I think the West is really top-heavy. But, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I like I, – I would love – I think it's as much as, as much as, like, I hate saying it, but it is true – the league is better when the Knicks and the Lakers are in the playoffs. And they're competitive teams. It's just better for league revenue. and um, The league just tends to do so much better in terms of uh, all the other stuff around it. right? It just makes it uh, a much bigger blockbuster watch. So, I would, yeah, I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't know. I, it's hard for me to see the Knicks in the playoffs next year, unless they make some tra- like drastic changes. Believe it, bro. You heard it, you heard it here first. Yo, if they make it uh, over the Raptors, then I'll, I'm, dude, I'm. Okay, well, well, I think Raptors are a team that will make it. I'm not. I think like when you mentioned the Hornets, I personally think they could like outpersonal the Hornets in a lot of ways, like. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of hypotheticals surrounding that, and the teams are different. Um, I just, I just think like the Knicks aren't really far off. Like they definitely do need some personnel change in terms of like building that identity because they went from being one of the best defensive teams in the previous year to being one of the worst this year. And I think that was a screw up on the front office or back end um, in some way. So there, there's something that needs to be solved there. Obviously, I don't know, man. There's something about that team. A team that has D Rose on it just can't fail, you know what I'm saying? No, that's like that's, that's actually not true at all. But you know, D <laughs> yeah. Rose is the man. You I, know what I'm I think to to give them a little bit of a break, they were pretty snake bitten with the injury bug because I mean, yeah, Nerlens Noel missed the majority of the season, and that's obviously their starting center. You know, you you ain't going to win much when you have Mitchell Robinson fouling out in five minutes, and then D Rose obviously missed a majority of the year. I. You know, I, I want to agree to it just because I want to see Derrick Rose play playoff basketball. You know, as much as Giannis is one of the most likable players, I think Derrick Rose is right up there with them. Those are the those are the two guys that nobody can hate. I don't think Derrick Rose is that likable. What? Youngest yes. MVP, Dude, biggest what if? 
You guys do know that he has rape charges, right? Oh fuck! I didn't know that. You guys do know that he's he's been known, and and it's not something that's also, it's not also oh damn well hidden secret that he kind of basically admitted to it. Well, uh, <laughs> so I'm sorry to break your guys' I, moment. I don't, don't want to. Heroes, but I, I don't want to make light of that. But I I will say. <laughs> Carl if you're Malone's, keeping, Carl Malone's still revered, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> well, that's, well, that's why also he's... Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. if we're keeping from a basketball perspective, what yeah. D-Rose has had to go through in his journey on his way back and all that stuff, it is, like, a super inspiring story. And hopefully that he finds his way back onto the court. Um, But, yeah, I'll leave it there. You know, there is one thing that I would say about the Knicks. I think they messed up with the Reggie Bullock thing. You know, I think he was such a big piece of what mm. they did in 2021 like he's a terrific defender he's a shooter and, and they weren't able to retain him and so anyways like you lose these little pieces that make you know a big impact on your culture and then you get injured you know you have guys go out sick with covid your leader who's Derek rose has you know was out for like what 80 percent of the year so yeah i mean but we'll see. At least they had a chance to develop their young guys, so I think they'll come back much better next year. No doubt. No right. doubt. All right, so that was a long segment. So uh, let's talk about this second round. If y'all have been living under a rock and you haven't watched basketball in the past few days, first of all, what are you doing? Second of all, we're in the second round. We are in right before shit gets really interesting right before we get to the last teams that get into the potential of the nba finals so let's talk about it all right heat versus the 76ers i mean let's talk about why uh doc rivers is going to be out of job let's talk about why it's heat in five maybe four uh frankly i I don't know what there isn't much to add to here because i feel that just by the virtue of joel Embiid not playing these first two games and the fact that he's dealing with an injury on uh, his shooting thumb and like the fracture here or whatever it is. I think the 76ers have made their bet. Evidently, I think it's a pride thing. You know, I will say a banged up Joel, an aging Harden, a rising Maxi, and a, a mediocre Tobias can maybe win you a game or two, but without the scoring champ at his best, uh, this is kind of, uh, it's kind of fucked. But the optimistic side of me is thinking that this could be the defining moment of James Harden's career. This is a guy that has long been labeled the choking man under the brightest lights. And as much as the beard has been more of a point guard and as much as he's, you know, not been able to live up to the potential and live up to the expectations that are placed on him, I think he's still the second best shooting guard. or He's still the best shooting guard since Kobe Bryant. Well, you know, just me being the ultimate optimist... Maybe they win a game. Maybe it's like maybe it's like uh, how it went with Toronto. They go down 3-0 and they start that comeback. And then maybe they push it to seven. Maybe they get slapped out. But no, nah, uh, I just think that if you have DeAndre Jordan as your starting center, uh, you're pretty cooked. I mean, when you look at the Heat, they're also down a seismic piece with Kyle Lowry, I think, arguably. When you look at the value of a player when it comes to showing up in the bright moments, being able to make the right play, especially in the playoffs, I think it's not a far-off thing to say that Kyle Lowry is is of similar value to uh, Joel Embiid. But 
with that being said, you look at the Heat and how fucking deep they are. You have Victor Oladipo, a two-time All-Star, a multi a multi-time like All-NBA player, an All-Defensive player on your bench. In addition to a guy like Tyler Hero, it's insane. So I don't know what much there is to add, y'all. Uh, heat in four, and uh, the Bucks will see them in the conference finals, baby. Um, I'll say five. I think. Well, Joel's not back until Game Three, right? Like, there's optimism that he can be back for Game Three, but um, I think at that point it's just too far gone, and he's already. I mean, he comes back well, probably wearing a mask, but we also forget he still has the thorn, uh, thorn, the torn ligament in his thumb. Right, so <clears throat> he's not going to be 100% healthy. This team has no depth compared to the Heat. And I think the Heat also have defensive personnel right now that are just more experienced and better for the moment than Toronto does. I mean, and, you know, like you said, Tyler Hero and those guys. Yeah, I think it'll be a short series. I wouldn't be surprised if it does go seven, though, only because of the fact that, like, Philly has shown the ability to, to really have explosive explosive nights and it's really hard to guard when all their guys are shooting really well and they did that for a number of games against Toronto and throughout the year too right so um I'm expecting a five game series <clears throat> but I wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised if it was shorter than that or even a really long series just because we're talking about like you're talking you are talking about a team with James Harden and Joel Embiid it's really hard to write that off so quickly No, yeah. Uh, I kind of agree with Ruben. I think he'll probably move to five just because of how, I think, offensively invigorating the like Philadelphia 76ers are more than anything. Um, I mean, you kind of saw how the Heat played against Atlanta, um, shutting down Trey Young in completion, basically, for the whole series. And um, you can kind of notice with Philly that, I mean, it, it's been like they're off- identity for a while that they are really just like such an impactful and like explosive offensive team um and they've kind of been able to at least looking at box stats and obviously that's not everything they have been able to at least continue to score and on like a level that is competitive um and then i don't know i i think it is tough just because yeah once you are two games in and i think heat are obviously not obviously but they're most likely to take the next game um, it is a matter of like if players like Joel Embiid and James Harden can actually make mount that comeback for after that, just because those two players in specific have never really been known to, um, let's say, rise above the challenge in the playoffs. So I think this will, I, I like DJ said, I think this will be a defining moment for James Harden's career. I've been pretty low on him since he kind of started <laughs> becoming hype. I've always thought he's just been a regular season player it's kind of just like a the shooting version of russ the non-athletic version of russ where he you know puts up these incredible stat lines but has not like real team accolades to show for them um and yeah i i wouldn't be surprised if it is eden four honestly yeah i just think that Tyler Hero is going to own the second unit of the Sixers. When you look at that second unit, it's disgusting. Shake Milton, Georges Niang, I guess kind of Matisse Thibel since, you know, <laughs> since we have with Toronto. I just think Tyler Hero is a guy that's going to completely fucking cook this series. Uh, it's his second unit, bro. Dude, 
they lost all their men against Toronto. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Y'all, y'all don't fuck with Cork on Corkmans like that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, DLJ Jordan is a minus 13 in the first 12 minutes he played That's in game disgusting. one. That's that's disgusting. That's disgusting, bro. I remember I saw one good shake. They'll take it. Like, oh, this dude might have it, but like, ain't it? All right. <laughs> Next series we're gonna talk about. Uh, it is the Mavs and the Suns. I mean, game one just happened yesterday. Uh, frankly, I think the what the box score showed at the end is kind of not necessarily uh, false or kind of inflated, but I mean, you see the comeback they were kind of making, and it was like. It could go either way, but obviously Phoenix was able to pull it out. Uh, but yeah, I think, Ruben, I want to hear your initial thoughts because, you know, you're a guy that's, you know, very heavily favored the Mavericks and, uh, you know, you've got big aspirations for them. Not to say that I don't, but you're a man that's been backing them. Let's hear it. Yeah, I don't know. I, <laughs> I don't know. It's different. It's different. It's definitely different now when the big man that that the big men that Phoenix and and uh, who said that uh, it was Jason Kidd who literally said it. He was like, "Yeah, this is not Rudy Gobert. Their offensive bigs can their their bigs can can um, can uh, dominate you offensively." And when you have Aiton and even Javale McGee is playing really well. Um, I think he just fits what they do. Uh, but when your big guys can punish you down low, and Dallas, obviously, without Porzingis now, they don't have the size or they don't have, um, you know, they just don't have the personnel to match up down low. And that's where they're going to lose um, this series. And it's it's very difficult because what Dallas has done so well at all season long, at least since the trade deadline when they acquired... Spencer Dinwiddie, and they've gone fully small. Um, Phoenix just does a good job of hampering what they do, right? Because they have the personnel defensively on the perimeter. They can go super small, right? They can go big. So it's really difficult. I mean, it, in order for this team to be anywhere close, Luka needs to have 45 points every game. And he had that in the first game. Right and and they were still it was still what was it a wire to our win I, I mean it was a pretty it was a pretty lopsided game until they made that run at the end but it was too too little too late like you were mentioning yeah like the last ten minutes they kind of like started on it but I think the closest they got was probably either five or seven yeah, I think yeah it was something like was, one one like was it one thirteen or one of seven or something like yeah that. something like that but it was only I think it was like less than a minute when that happened. Yeah, I mean, uh, for me, it's it's all guys have to do it collectively. Collectively, I think their guard play just has to be on point. Like Dinwiddie, Brunson, Luca are gonna have to shoot lights out. You're gonna have to get really good shooting numbers from Maxi Kleber. Um, your 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 outside threats are gonna have to hit. So you know Reggie Bullock, Finney Smith are gonna have to be offensive threats for you. Um, Dwight Powell, he's going to have to be an offensive threat. Like, they've got to do it by committee just because, you know, Luka isn't enough to get past what, what the Suns have on both ends. And, dude, how good is Chris Paul, man? How good is Chris Paul? Like, how good is Chris Paul? Like, he's just able to control the pace of the game. And, you know, Devin Booker is such a good closer. 
they just have the pieces, right? It's just like this is what we were talking about last year and what we were talking about before the playoffs started. It's like Phoenix just has it. They just have it. Um, so it's going to take a perfect night on both ends for Dallas to be anywhere competitive throughout the series. It's just a game of matchups, right? They always say it. it's a game of matchups. And and Dallas, unfortunately, just doesn't have uh, a good matchup against Phoenix. But I do still say six games for Dallas. <laughs> Gotta believe. Uh, Chin, let's hear it, brother. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Like, I think it's just, like, too favorable of a matchup for the Suns. Like, you really don't have to dig too deep into the game to know that, like, 51 to 36 rebounds and 30, 13 to 7 offensive rebounds is just not a good sight for a team that, you know, is competing against the Phoenix Suns. Like, if there's one thing that we can maybe hope to, like, outshine them in, it usually would be, like, really the bigs because obviously their guard play is, like, what really shines for the Phoenix Suns. Um, but when you can't even really hold a guy like DeAndre Aiden, I think there's just too many holes to cover for a team like the Mavs. Um, like this Mavs team, I think is just full of like, like talent at the end of the day. And they do have to play perfect. Like Brunson, Doncic and Dinwiddie really have to like be putting up like 20 points per game to really make this competitive. Um, just cause like that's, that really is their only, I think, um, way of winning and then having like their big step up, uh, defensively. So I think it's really a matter of changing the scheme and like kind of figuring out a way to play around it. I mean, the Bucks did it last year. Um, sorry. Yeah. The Bucks did it last year when they changed up after game two, um, against the Suns, and they obviously, uh, rewrote the narrative of that series. But, um, I don't know if this is the same case because the Mavs don't really have, a Giannis or even a Brooklyn Lopez of the world. So, yeah. 100%. I think you guys have all said it. I think the main tagline for the Mavs is this. Luka's going to show up. The Mavs playoff hopes are hedged on the production of the others. And I think that applies to a lot of the teams in the playoffs right now where, you know, Giannis is guaranteed 20, 10, and 5 every night. Uh, Devin Booker is guaranteed 25 and 5 and another 5 assists here and there. Chris Paul's a 20 and 10 given every night. Luka's like a 29, 9 and 9. And we've seen Jalen Brunson. This is a dude that had a 40 piece last round. Completely came back to earth. Now, granted, I do expect a big comeback from him. You know, Spencer did when he was looking like the Wizards version. Dwight Powell got played off the floor. Maxi Kleber came to hoop, though. Got to give him his respect. But I think if Maxi Kleber is your second leading scorer, nine out of ten times you lose. Uh, I do expect the Mavs to make the adjustments and, you know, maybe throw in different looks here and there. But if Luka's really the only player you have to guard from a scoring, like from scoring any type of basket. It's really hard to like win a game. It's very easy to key in on that. You send all the bodies you can because you know that all the other guys ain't hitting shit. So I do think that this is kind of like... This, this is the formula to win against the Suns, y'all. We, we've seen the Bucks movie. You get punched in the mouth the next couple games, and you come back and everyone starts playing good. Hopefully that rings true for them. But 
When I look at this Suns team in comparison to last year, uh, the cohesion they're playing with is unreal. I mean, if we think about it, last year was the first team that year was like truly as it is right now. I mean, the year before that, they didn't even make the playoffs. Granted, they went, what, 8-0 and in the bubble, still missed it. But ever since, like, you know, there's always been that. We've all seen that edit where it's like Bruno Mars talking to the moon. It's the classic, you know, the fake fade over and, you know, for game, Devin Booker on Paul George. Ever since that moment, I think the Suns are made for championships. They're a team that, you know, has one of the best young coaches right now in Monty Williams, uh, one of the best two guards in Devin Booker, and in my opinion, the best point guard of this generation in Chris Paul. And we got another guy, obviously, in Mikael Bridges, who's a Defensive Player of the Year candidate, uh, the human victory cigar in Jay Crowder, who's played in the last two finals. DeAndre Aiden's looking like a top five center. I just think that destiny, the narrative, and kind of purely being amazing at basketball, all those things are kind of ringing and true for the Suns. And, you know, at the same time, I think this could be Luka's defining moment too. So I think it's definitely going to be interesting. I, I Just to kind of uh, ride alongside Ruben though, I, I will say, I think Mavs in seven. You know, we'll see what happens. Lucas, <laughs> what do you think is gonna? Okay, what's your call then? Suns in five. Suns in five. Honestly, if we're really talking. <laughs> but you know, I, I believe in Mavs in seven, just for the sake of you know. Oh, I want to believe, but I really don't. <laughs> hey, hey, think There's about like, smart, bro. man. I don't. I think the way I see it, though, it's just like playing a, a certain way where it's like give Luca what he wants, but don't give him anything else. You know, like Luca yeah, can, yeah, yeah Luca can drop like fifty next game and they can still lose because that that's kind of how teams in the past guarded Giannis too, right? Like DJ, yeah, you know, game one played out. Yeah, that's literally how game one played out, like what you said. So yeah. it's not going to score a hundred points, you know, like. How it is. Like, uh, that's literally how the the Bucks guarded KD last year. Yeah. You know, you you're you know he's gonna get his fifty. It's just a matter of how hard you make him work for it. Exactly. But okay. Uh, <laughs> that was that was hilarious. Okay. Let's move on to uh the other playoff series in the East. We got the Celtics and the Bucks. Now, uh, Christian, as the the Celtics fan by default of being a Jason Tatum fan, I, I would love to hear your thoughts. You know, man, I am like, I, I, I don't know what to say about this series. I think it's like borderline the most competitive series, um, just because there's so much competition going back and forth. Um, I will say with the last like two games, like there hasn't necessarily been either team like kind of defining the table, and I both think they have like their identity set in the NBA, or at least in the association to like kind of play in a certain narrative. So I don't think either team is really like undergunned like the last two series we kind of mentioned. Um, I think I will say like. I, okay, well, personally, like, I've only gotten a chance to, like, see so much. And, like, the way I watch the Celtics is very biased because I watch Jason Tatum a lot. Um, 
from what I will say, I think, um, yeah, I don't know. It, it is going to be a matter of matchups in this series. I don't think there's really going to be um, a certain point in the series where you can kind of tell who's going to win it. Um, just because the way these two teams play is um, quite unorthodox. You have, like, with the Celtics, you have two very, like, prominent scoring, like, wings and Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, um, who are really more um, kind of technically focused in the game, where you have, and then where you have, in the Bucks, you have a guy like Giannis, who by all means is technical, but obviously more of a dominant force, and they play around him in a lot more of a way. Um, so I think it's a matter of, like, I think it's the, really those three players like that are going to have to um, play night in and night out to really, sorry, I'm like at a loss for words, but really to kind of create some sort of momentum shift for both of these teams. Um, is Chris Middleton still out? This, Yeah, he's, he not, he's not coming yeah. back until the next round, even if they're oh, still up in the air, right. but yeah. Yeah, and I think that's another thing, right? Like... With Giannis being the solo man on that team, not to throw any disrespect to your other Bucks, DJ, but uh, I do think, um, yeah, it's going to be a matter of like really having Giannis step up and you know play on that MVP level, which he's very capable of. They they took the first game in uh, I think a believable fashion, and I think in the very way is the same way today with the Celtics, where they took the game in a believable fashion. So. Um, I think it is a battle of the stars in this series. It's like three of the like premier players in the league, in my opinion. Maybe two if you don't really talk about uh, Jalen Brown, um, even though he played really great today. Um, yeah, I just think it's the matter of like how those stars are going to perform and like how they're going to impact their teams. Um, even though there are like five, ten players on the court at a time, I just think that's what this series is really about. Um, no bias really to the Celtics, honestly, because the Bucks are, you know, unconceivably, even without their second best score on the floor, they're still able, able to take on this like top tier defensive and really one of the more premier and like explosive offenses in the league. Like, um, yeah, it's, it's really tough to make a call on this one. I don't, I think it's a seven game series in my mind. Yeah, I probably I probably agree there. Um, six and seven, six or seven, but for Milwaukee. Um, just trying to think about this series, right? Like you said, it's going to be a battle of the stars, but I think it's going to be just as much for the others because of the fact that there's a lot of, of how do I say this? It, it, Tatum Brown, Giannis Drew. Right, you're gonna see those two, and it's a matter of like we saw in game one how how important Drew Holiday was. Right, we saw how important how big of an impact Javon Carter made. Right, um, it, it's 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 those guys like you said. Can they make that shift on momentum? Like, can they make an impact on the game and put their imprint on the game? And I think um, whichever of the others in each game can make an impact is what's going to tell the story of the series. I also just think Milwaukee has better personnel to defend um, uh, the wing players of Tatum and Brown. And I also think you can't just double and throw two guys at Giannis 
like you could with Kevin Durant because Giannis is one of the premier playmakers in the game. He's going to make the right pass every time. Um, he's a much more physical player, so he's able to battle for position for a lot longer and endure kind of the, that the banging down low. Um, you feel your body, you know, as Charles Barkley said. You know, <laughs> um, yeah, Giannis. I think. I think also Giannis is by far the best player in the league, um, in the world. Um, and I don't oh think, yeah, yeah. Don't think that's a conversation can be had anymore. So. I think you know you just gotta ride with the guy who's having who's the who's the best player in the league, and I'm still waiting for that Giannis game. I'm still waiting for that Giannis game where he just goes, he just drops all his shit and just goes, yeah, literally, I'm the best player in the world, and none of you are gonna do anything about it. And once he's able to find his rhythm in this series, I think it's 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 just a cap, right? It's at that point, it's just like you kind of tip your cap and you say. We did what we could, um, because as good as Robert Williams and the Boston Celtics defense is, um, what Milwaukee has around Giannis are a lot of really good shooters, a lot of good secondary creators, um, a lot of good defenders as well, right, inside and outside. So that's a lot of load off, off of Giannis, and I'm sure, DJ, you'll touch on this. The others are, are really what makes Giannis go, and so once he finds, once he's able to put his mark on the game, I think... I think it's kind of over um, because I just think as good as Tatum has become this year, I just don't think he's he's at that level yet where where he can control how this game is gonna gonna be played. No doubt. Uh, so obviously, I have Celtics in negative form. <laughs> uh, I'll I'll start with this. When I watched Game One, I think that we've seen that. Frankly, the wall is kind of dead. You know, as effective, like the only thing I think it's really effective for at this point is for drawing charges on Giannis. Uh, we've seen his ability, as Ruben mentioned, he's one of the top playmakers. He's reading the game so much like clearer now. There's not as much tunnel vision, as much, you know, as much alpha male to get to the hoop. And I think that's a double-edged sword in that we've seen Giannis at times be passive and at the same time kind of force shots. And... With that also, uh, when you replace Eric Bledsoe with Drew Holiday, it's a beautiful thing, man. Uh, a lot of the game plan in beating Milwaukee, I think, is you know obviously getting the ball out of Giannis's hands. And we've seen how uh, Game 1, that's not an effective strategy. Granted, Game 2, if you only make three threes, you're not going to win the game. I think it's insane. But now, on the defensive end, though, I think we've seen how much different this team looks with the fact that Brooke Lopez is back and that takes a lot of pressure off of Giannis and guarding the paint and even the fact that, you know, some people are quick to say that, you know, Brooke Lopez is washed. But regardless, that's a seven footer, that's a three hundred pound man. You're gonna think twice about going to the hole no matter who you are. And we saw their ability to kind of stifle the paint points and that was kind of the same thing here. I think uh I believe Milwaukee had like a thirty point advantage in the when it came to the points in the paint, but uh, with that being said, Jalen Brown's an All NBA as a superstar. I mean, he was an instant offense today. Uh, with that, the Bucks were in a pretty big hole coming into halftime. I think, in addition to that, when it came to the second half, uh, I felt they were very how is it? They were very sped up and not allowed to play their game on defense. You know, uh, Wesley Matthews, who's been solid. 
uh, stepping in for Chris Middleton. He gambled a lot, I felt, when it came to uh, Drew Holiday getting around screens. Granted, that might be the right basketball play, but I also think that Drew Holiday is good enough a defender where you know you let him, you know you let him play his man straight up. But with the fact that they were down so heavy and how deadly the Celtics were from the three point line that game, it was uh, it wasn't pretty. I will say, but the redeeming thing is that this. Two things. The last time the Celtics scored less than 90 points was in December 29th of 2021. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown combined for 33 points on 10 for 31. And in extension, the starting five had 61 points on 20 of 59. You love to see that. Obviously, that showcases that. I think, though, as much as uh, the defense was definitely effective and how they were able to really limit the paint, uh, we've seen how... There's a double-edged sword in that, in the fact that literally the Celtics went from taking the most threes to draining an absurd amount. But with that, I will say it's definitely a battle of the others. I, I agree with that 100%. Grayson Allen is a guy, he was definitely way too passive in the second game. He showcased the ability to be instant offense and that and also be a solid defender. I think he had a game with five steals the other night. Or, like, definitely in the first round. Uh, him taking four shots is unacceptable. And to me, at this point, if you're down Chris Middleton, a guy who's taken at least 15 to 20 shots, you know, I'm not saying he has the green light, but, you know, Grace Adal is our Tyler Hero here, you know, <laughs> our, our white boy with instant offense. And I just think that him score, him only taking four or five shots, that, that's unacceptable. Uh, that being said, I think the Celtics deserve a ton of credit. They were able to, uh, really stifle any Milwaukee momentum in that there were at least like two or three instances where uh, the Bucks were cutting it down from like 15 to 12 or, you know, 12 to potentially like maybe around 10. And every time they got that first bucket to really get them to that potential, the Celtics came back and punched them out. But overall, in these first two games, uh, I think Milwaukee's the winner in that, you know, I think a lot of people written them off with no Chris Middleton and then, you know, the fact that they were even, they were able to come into Boston and take one, mission the mission succeeded. You know, they have home court advantage. They're going back to the Deer District, which in my opinion, you know, houses one of the best home court advantages, except, uh, well, this is, uh, game six set aside, I think Toronto's probably one of the best home courts. <laughs> no, but this is going to be an intense series. I'm excited for it. I, the Giannis Antetokounmpo game is definitely coming. Overall, I think he's had like he's had a mediocre playoff run for who he is. Granted, when it when you stack it up against everyone, obviously it's superstar level. But Giannis is a guy who's come back from two two zero deficits, one being in the NBA Finals, and in the closing game he had fifty points and went like fourteen for fifteen from the line. So it's not a matter of when Giannis is going to drop forty or fifty on you, or if. It's a matter of when, and I think that game is coming up soon, especially uh, being up against such a formidable team in the Boston Celtics. But, yeah, Bucks and Six, baby. That's my call. Okay, now, we are going to talk about the last playoff series for this second round. This is one that has definitely been the closest in terms of being wire-to-wire -wire these past two games. Game one was a one-point difference. Game two, I believe, was four points, five points. Uh, it is 
the old guard versus new, new kids on the block. We're talking the Golden State Warriors and the Memphis Grizzlies. You know, this is a team, this is a battle of a team that's potentially on that precipice of greatness versus a team who's been drinking from that fountain for nearly a decade. Uh, obviously, you know, with how these teams have been competing in the regular season, I believe the Grizzlies won the regular season series. And yeah, I think this has been a fun series to watch. It's insane to see. But also, uh, a little bit sad that, uh, you know, those flagrant two things are have been, in my opinion, not necessarily the, the face of that series, but definitely one of the main things you're seeing. Now, if you've been living under rock, obviously there was a flagrant two with Draymond Green, where uh, they were saying he was pulling down Brandon Clark, but frankly, I think he was trying to pull him up. So he, you know, on his Steven Adams, good guy stuff. But it's Draymond Green. So obviously you're going to kind of not necessarily assume the worst, but you're, you're not necessarily going to give him the benefit of the doubt either. And the other one was, uh, I don't know, that one was a lot more blatant, in my opinion at least. You know, Gary Payton II, who's been one of, uh, you know, one of the top kind of feel-good stories of this year. A guy who was on, you know, the heels of the league, who was about to be kicked out. And now he was a solid rotational player. I don't know how that's going to ring true because I heard he has a fractured elbow. But that being said, in my opinion, I think this is this is the best series for the second round. You know, you obviously have one of the youngest teams who's extremely formidable. And you also have a team that's back in the playoffs for the past few years, which has been a team that's been so used to success. So I'm curious to hear you guys' thoughts. Frankly, I personally have Warriors in six, but uh, what y'all think? Yeah, I, I've got the Warriors in six, too. I mean, uh, I pretty much everything you said, I kind of speak with or resonate with. Um, I just think what Memphis does so well that will make this series really tough on Golden State is obviously their ability to match up. Their perimeter play is really good, and um, they have the bigs, right, to, to offset some of the things that Golden State does. As much as I like Kevon Looney as a really good gel player for their roster, like they have Jaron Jackson Jr., Xavier Tillman, and I'm I'm a bit surprised that Steven Adams has really been taken out of the the rotation, just because I think what he does from a screen setting standpoint, especially when you play against a team that switches everything, I think hard screens and the ability to screen and roll and be able to screen and pop. And slip is really important in a series like this. Um, is is Stephen Adams out of protocols? Cause didn't he get COVID? Did he have COVID? Yeah, he he got put in protocols last series, so I don't know if he's back. But yeah, I agree. He should definitely be in the rotation. Sorry to cut you off, but yeah. yeah. From what I understand, he was already out of the rotation anyways against uh, Minnesota. So I mean, at least if trend is looking that way, regardless, like at it doesn't seem like he's going to be getting playing time even when he's back. And I assume it's probably because if he caught, caught COVID, his cardio is going to be bit off, so he's going to require that time to kind of um, get back into rhythm. But I would hope that, okay, if he is back or whatever, or, or clear from protocols, that he, he becomes some sort of... Uh, he, he makes an appearance in the series because I think that's what you need against a team that switches everything defensively. But I think you always got to run with the with with star power and, and Steph and Jordan Poole and Clay and Dre and the experience that they have and the way that they play so cohesively it just works so well. 
And, um, yeah, I can't argue against six. can't argue against six games. I think, um, you know, Memphis won, obviously, this evening. But they're going to go back now to to the Bay, right, and, and trying to take two against one of the best home courts in the league, even though it's not an Oracle anymore. Um, you still have – it's literally one of the best fan bases in the league in terms of, you know, just support and, and you know, how loud they are, how into the game they are. And um, – yeah, it sucks with the flagrant twos. I think this is obviously a very physical series. In my opinion, I don't think both players meant to club the crap out of the, the guy, but they did, and that's just kind of what happened. And it was excessive. It was an excessive foul, and they got pulled out for a flagrant two. So, I mean, if you, I think in terms of intent, it's a different conversation versus was this actually a flagrant two and. I would say, you know what, I can see why it was a flagrant two and they got pulled out. Did they intend to smack the guy in the face or club the guy in the head on in, in the air? I don't think so. Um, so I think this is going to continue to be a, a trend in the series where we're going to see a lot of physical play regardless, right? Because um, both of those teams are have also been known to do that, you know, since the beginning of the year. But we'll see. I think uh, it's, it'll, be, it'll be a fun series, but I think we also know that uh, Golden State's just got that umph right now in that experience father time's not yet yeah um i guess to bounce off of what ruben's really saying um i do think yeah i think i'm pretty much in cohesion with you guys that warriors and six dare i say warriors and five just to make it spicy but uh i don't know like the today's game was a very close one um I mean, 106 to 101, but I don't really think it tells the whole story. Um, the Warriors shot an atrocious 18.4% from the three, which is very uncharacteristic of their team. Um, Clay also had a really terrible night that I think hasn't really been talked about, where he shot 5 for 19. Um, and he had that last play um, there where he was it he traveled um, on the three-point attempt, um, and that pretty much solidified the end of the game. Um, so I think his off night was really what kind of solidified the loss for the game today, and I think that won't really be happening next game. Um, it is kind of tragic, or not tragic, but it just sucks to see um, Gary Payne not play the rest of this game because I think he's been probably, like outside of everything, one of the more impactful players for the Warriors this season. I think he just brings that athleticism that they've honestly always lacked on this team. Like they've never been known to really have like anyone who's been really freakishly athletic, um, you know, really post Monte Ellis era. Um, it's really just been a team of like really changing in basketball and just shooting lights out night in and night out. Um, so it, it is kind of sad to see that because um, it'll definitely be an adjustment for them. It's cool to see uh, that guys like Jonathan Kaminga got some playing time today though. Otto Poor Jr. got some more time. Saw Damian Lee play very early in this game, which I thought was a, an interesting call. Don't think he really deserves minutes at all. Um, over Juan Toscano Anderson, too, of all people. Like, I, I really don't know if that was the best coaching decision made, but I just think, you know, if you put things all into consideration of how their team played today for the. Uh, the Warriors, I just don't think Memphis can really hold on for this series. So I think they will maybe take one more off the Warriors, but they're just too tenured of a team, and they're still really, all their star players are still exiting their prime, if anything, and it'd be surprising to see Memphis really take this one. 
I would say, like, right now, <clears throat> in terms of, like, I think this is a really good series for Memphis to really get some exposure to championship-style basketball. Because yeah. in terms of Golden State's window, like you were mentioning, I think this might, like, I would say next year might really be their last year of them in their prime. And, you know, the turnover of the guard, if, if Golden State doesn't win it next year, I mean, this year, their best, their next best and final chance is probably next year. And Memphis is probably knocking on the door at, at this point. I mean, I think they are a contender. It's just, it just sucks that you run into Golden State in the second round, right? Um, but, uh, yeah, I think that's, it's, it's, it's really interesting. I think this is really important for that franchise, that organization, to go through this kind of basketball against that kind of organization. So early on in this core's, core group's time together, um, because I think Memphis, obviously, is going to be a team to reckon with for a really long time. Yeah, no doubt. I I will say I think the biggest X factor for this series is definitely Jaron Jackson Jr. You know, there's a lot of Michigans. There's a lot of Tom Izzo boys here at Michigan State. You know, what is it? Jaron Jackson Jr., Xavier Tillman, Jermon Green. That being said, Jaron Jackson Jr. is a 6'11 dude with guard skills. We saw him in Green 1 really show up and really, you know, be that X factor, and in my opinion, I think he should have got the final shot, frankly. But, uh, man, this is definitely the most competitive series. I think the change of the guard thing is, I think, one of the really prevailing storylines, and it'll be interesting to see. Shoot, I mean, they're going back to the bay. That's going to be the or not Oracle Chase Center is going to be rocking. Yeah, I think you see guys like Jonathan Kaminga getting a little playing time, which is great to see. It gives the Warriors a new look that, uh, as you said, Christian, they don't really have that past of uh, having guys that can jump out the gym. And, yeah, shoot. I mean, today's game was insane. I mean, so freaking crazy. Playoff basketball is amazing. All right. So we have reached the conclusion of this segment. Now let's talk about the BTS, the real BTS, the Black Top Showdown. All right. <clears throat> if you aren't aware of this, this is, you know, you and me, mano y mano, on the Black Top, where a majority, if not all of us, learned to first play the hoops, first picked up a basketball, all that good stuff. Now these are obviously fantasy, like, kind of uh, battles, I will say, where uh, we get one player we got to make a case for why they're better than the other player. It's not who's actually better. Like, for example, if uh, the other player has tons of accolades and the other player is James Harden, you can't just use those accolades against them. No, but uh, <laughs> that roasting aside, yeah, it's really just a matter of can you make an argument for why this player is better than the other player. That being said, Christian, pick a number one to four. Three. Christian has an MVP here. Christian has Russell Westbrook. Yeah. Ruben, pick a number one to four, but obviously not three. Two. We have two guys who are, I think, on the complete opposite of the spectrum from each other. On one side, we have Russell Westbrook, one of the most athletic guards to ever play the game. 
on the second side, a guy who's really flipped the narrative from having weak ankles to having the wettest shot of all time. It's Stephen Curry. Bruh. All right. <clears throat> okay, let me share my screen here so y'all can see this. Uh, do, 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 do. Bing bong. Okay. All right. You guys can still see it, right? Okay, cool, cool, cool. Because I can Okay. All right. Uh, let's say heads is Christian, tails is Ruben. All right, Christian. You got, you got the basketball reference page ready? You ready to go? I think so. Okay, Christian's minute starts in three, two, one, go. All right, so Russell Westbrook, one of my favorite players in the NBA, undisputably. Uh, what can I say about him? I mean, you know, obviously he's gotten a lot of flack for this current year, but if we're really talking about players in their prime, Russell Westbrook has been undeniably like one of the best pound-for-pound players, and he's going to go down as that. Um, kind of like how I talked about him earlier, he has had probably by far one of the best MVP seasons, um, averaging a triple-double. And it's not even the only season that he's averaged a triple-double. Um, that being said, he has always been known to really be like a freakishly athletic player. Um, and I think on the blacktop, that really like is one of the more important things um, is getting to the hoop. Um, I think fundamentally on the blacktop, if you're playing up against a guy who can shoot, that's all great and everything. But blacktop doesn't really have those type of rules in the NBA where if you like get close to a guy, you're going to get a foul. Um, Russell Westbrook is like that, that, much that's, more. That's, that's your minute, my G. No way, bro. I wasn't even watching the stream. Oh, shit. All right. All you need, anyways. Oh, okay, Rubes, your minute in three, two, one, go. Steph Curry on the blacktop is an absolute cheat code. The moment you check the ball up, you have to be in his face. You have to be in his face, and you know, even if you are in his face, his ability to get by on the offensive end, he obviously has a very underrated handle. So. <coughs> Just like Kyrie Irving, how we talk about he is the prime and premier kind of blacktop player, Steph Curry is also the exact same thing. He's the ability to shoot anywhere from the floor. He's got one of the best mid-range touches. He's also got one of the best floaters. So regardless of size, regardless of the player and the athleticism, he has a huge bag in terms of what he can go to on the floor on the offensive end. On the defensive end, you might say, oh, Russell Westbrook is a stronger player. He can back him in. Russell Westbrook averages 1.3 steals per game, at least this year, and has even averaged two at one point at one season. So his ability to poke the ball uh, loose. And with a guy like Russell Westbrook who cannot shoot, his operation space is very tight and very small. Okay, okay. Alrighty. So, let me set this up. Alright. Christian, your 30-second rebuttal. Three, two, one, go. Yeah, so I think Curry's style of play is really counter to what Russell Westbrook does. I think on the blacktop, the physicality is definitely unmatched compared to a real NBA game. And in NBA, it is a 5v5 game where this is a 1v1. I just think Russell Westbrook is able to outmatch him defensively and at least able to hold him to not being able to create a shot so easily. There isn't anyone to like take screens for. 
Um, and I just think Russell Westbrook has a like underrated shot in his prime too. He's hit a lot of clutch shots. Okay. All right. Christian. Third, sorry. Ruben. Rebuttal. Three, two, one, go. Yeah, Steph Curry's ability is one of the best in terms of creating space regardless of the defender. We've seen defenders of all kinds, Pat Beverly, Russell Westbrook. We've seen it happen on the floor, and none of these guys have the ability to stay in front of Steph. While he does not have the off-ball uh, abilities that he does on the, on the black court, what his ability is is he's able to get by anybody, create space, and it, because he can shoot from anywhere on the floor, he's absolutely unguardable. Alrighty, uh, I think you both present very uh, solid arguments. Now, when you look at it, when you look at these two. It's obviously two of the best point guards of their generation, or maybe guards in general. Russell Westbrook's more of a true point guard. And I will say, Christian, Christian makes a good argument in that you know there ain't gonna be anybody set screens. I'm not saying that's the only way. <laughs> I'm not saying that's the only way Curry scores his threes, but. Have y'all ever seen that video where uh, it's the dude narrating what they think they be saying? And there's like that, it's like that classic, you know, the DHO screen handoff. <laughs> I don't know. That's this is funny tangents. Uh, okay, I just think like okay, like this is not to add to it or the black top, yo. You just you ain't built like that. Yeah. What? I, yeah. <laughs> Have you guys seen that like one highlight where Curry was being guarded by Kobe and like he basically couldn't get a shot off for like the whole? Okay, but that was like when that's was, what like, that's what Steph was a twig. Yeah, like let, let's be honest, like not a lot has like changed in the way he plays from that. Like, like I think like a player like obviously I'm not saying Russell Westbrook is built like Kobe defensively, but okay, like I'm just saying like that would be like realistically what happens like every play. Like on the yeah, blacktop. Steph also wasn't pulling up from like thirty feet that back then because he was being coached under Mark Jackson. Bro, that was the thirty foot shot for sure. That play. Anyways, that's all I'm saying. The players. Steph Curry is not a twig anymore, bro. He is, he's fucking swole, bro. Uh, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, Jin. That as much as you said that shouldn't be part of that's that's, that's crazy, bro. Uh, I I will say though, Chris, you you made a compelling argument for Russell Westbrook, but that that low key kind of cooked you. I man, I want to say a draw, but I just think that. Uh, how do I word this? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I gotta give it to Ruben. I'm sorry, Kazo. You, you made an argument, but I don't know. The the, the twig thing was kind of um, kind of shaky. But alrighty, uh, <laughs> damn, he's silent. <laughs> okay, Ruben. Honestly, <laughs> like, like I mean, Russell. I don't think Curry's really that big in, in perspective. You know. But okay, well, what's their what's their weight difference? I feel like it's not that much. 
I don't even no, know. Of course, size is that big of a difference because Steph is also six three. They're both yeah. about the same weight. Let, let, let's see here. Now you acted like Russell Westbrook got the dump truck like and wait on him. Uh, let's yeah. see here. Russell Westbrook is six three two hundred. I feel like Steph's probably around one ninety. Oh, one eighty five. So I guess fifteen pound difference, but I don't know. Yeah, but. Yeah, so, solid argument how, though, Jin. We know how that goes in the UFC with 200 versus 185. Let's be honest. F- fair point. Jan Blahovich uh, completely laid on Israel Adesanya for 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Next argument. All right, Ruben. I don't know why I'm asking, but do you want to potentially switch? Absolutely not. Okay. So, for me, my options are either Damian Lillard or James Harden. Let me go to this flip coin here. Alrighty. Let's say heads uh, Damian Lillard, tails James Harden. Heads. Oh. Alrighty. This is going to be interesting. Okay. Let me set this up. Okay. Okay, all right, let me get this ready. Okay, we will say, uh, heads me, tails Ruben. All right, if, oh, just so that everyone can see, that is heads, so it is on me initially. Okay, my minute starts in three, two, one. When we're talking about Damian Lillard, we're talking about the clutchest player to ever play basketball. This is a guy who has 30-foot game winners and is a guy who has the capability and range to shoot anywhere on the court. Arguably more than Steph Curry. Now, not only that, Dame's bag is impeccable. His ability to create off the dribble, his ability to get to the hoop, his ability to really shoot anywhere, I think is unmatched. Except maybe for Curry. That being said, who has, who has the better game winners? Who has the ability to back it up? Who was made for the blacktop? Who was grown on the blacktop? You've all seen that Modelo commercial. If Damian Lillard gave up his... Uh, da, 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 he would be satisfied with being seven, seven overall pick. Damian Lillard is the definition of a dog. He is a guy who has grinded for everything that he's gone in the league. He's a guy that's the definition of loyalty. And he will bust anyone's ass on the blacktop. Especially Chef Curry. I mean, you know... He's, we've seen his ability to really cook motherfuckers, and I think Chef Curry is not going to be much of a chef against Damian Lillard. All right, Rube, on you. Three, two, one, go. We've seen time and time again. We've even we've seen it. It's been real. It's a real thing. We've seen Portland and we've seen Golden State all together. Playoff series, regular season games. We've seen this head-to-head matchup consistently for a really long period of time. And we've seen Steph Curry thoroughly outplay Damian Lillard for most of their matchups. And we've always seen Steph Curry get the best of Damian Lillard and the Portland Trailblazers. It's a team game that we're speaking about, but when you take that to the blacktop and we've seen what Steph Curry has been able to do to all kinds of players and all kinds of matchups, Damian Lillard is not somebody that can stay in front of offensive players. And that has been known. He's been known to be a guy that they hide on the defensive end and he doesn't have the size to impose against a guy like Steph Curry. So Steph will be able to get wherever he wants, shoot wherever he wants, and I think if he has first possession, it's kind of over. 
Who? Okay, my rebuttal in three, two, one. Now, as much as Damian Lillard's may be choked in those moments, that's obviously when it's a team game. When it's the blacktop, it's mano e mano. Steph ain't no Steph is like not that much better than Damian Lillard on the defensive end. But when we're talking about who has limitless range, I truly say it's Damian Lillard. You know, Stephen Curry doesn't have an off-the-dribble 40-foot bomb as a game winner. He hasn't had that, you know, goodbye moment. This is a guy who's playing against Damian Lillard, the true definition of a dog, Oakland bread, blacktop bread, all of that. Alrighty, Chin. Let's hear your deliberation. Wait, didn't Ruben not get his 30 oh, seconds? Oh, shoot. My bad. My bad. I wasn't trying to shortchange you there, Ruben. My bad. Okay. <laughs> Ruben's rebuttal. Three, two, one, go. Chef Curry with the shot. Boy, you know, it's easy money, bro. Come on now. The guy can shoot from 30 feet. The guy can get to anywhere on the floor. He's got the handle. He's got the ability to finish in the lane, to be able to float it up. He's also got a really good back down game. If you don't realize his ability to use the smitty. Bum, bum, bum to create and Damian Lillard just doesn't have a lateral quicks no matter what argument you make Steph Curry has outplayed Damian Lillard on all fronts all right for real now Chin let's let's hear it okay so this one's tough I think like I, I play a lot of blacktop basketball it's almost exclusively the only type of basketball I play so I think when I really think of this like argument, like being completely honest, like it is a matter of like how these kind of players are not necessarily even built, but just like the style of their game and the way like they could actually adapt. I think the fact that you know Damian Lillard has had the balls to take like those forty, like those forty feet deep shots, like speaks a lot to how kind of the blacktop is kind of um, constructed. I think it is a matter of like actually being genuinely clutch. And I wouldn't say Curry's not known for being clutch, but he's definitely not up there with a lot of the players. Um, but I have to like give credit to Ruben too, where he kind of mentioned really like the matchups that Curry and, um, and Dame had, have had in the past. Like Dame really doesn't have anything to speak for it. Um, so I don't know, like, are we allowed to give draws? Is that is that a thing? This isn't soccer, I know. So, <laughs> uh, uh, let's ever draw in blacktop showdown history. Hey, I mean, if you if that's what you want to say, that's what you want to say. I I don't know. They just like they're so like hard to differentiate in so many ways. Okay, like, how about how about this? How about we do another 30-second rebuttal? <laughs> I don't know. What, what do you think, everyone? Do you, do you, you cool with that? Or do you, do you want to take this draw with some soccer bullshit? I'm good with whatever, man. I think I'm pretty confident about my ability to stay at the draw because I'm still in a winning record. That's, that's or, true. That's true. Or, I mean, we can have a rebuttal and, and I can just tell you again how Steph Curry has outplayed Damian Lillard. To <laughs> 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 be honest, I think I'm going to give this one a draw. I, I'm just going to make the executive decision. Okay. I think okay. they, they both like outdog each other in certain ways and I think yeah. it's so... It's very impossible to actually think. This is like one of those hypotheticals. Like, you know, I was actually watching on like the Hakeem versus Shaq matchup that never happened. Like the one on one, 
Like this is one of those situations oh, that's where that's insane. He, Hakeem would cook Shaq on the offensive. Okay. Yes, Hakeem would absolutely cook Shaq. No, but like the you guys have heard about like the like paper not the pay per view like yeah I think it was a pay per view event that they were gonna have like a one v one back in the nineties like when they were both like so in their this prime. is this is Orlando yeah. Shaq right oh yeah 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 uh, yeah yeah like I think that's that's like a tough that's, situation that's like call, like if you were to actually watch that live like how it go down you, I have no idea I feel like I'd still pick Hakeem. Cause you know, I think sorry, I'm not to interrupt, but like, have you seen that like, uh, like kind of fun one v one Shaq had with MJ, like in the all oh, when he cooked that, his ass, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I, Shaq was like in his Orlando days, he was like he was moving and grooving, man. That's true. Yeah, no, he was. He most certainly. Yeah, sorry, you were saying DJ, and I, I just think. I don't think Shaq would be able to impose his physical will on Hakeem because this is a dude... I don't even know the weight difference, but Hakeem's got DPOYs. He's got all the all the accolades to really say that's not as big of a thing. And, I mean, when you think about it, think of how many big men and even, like, wing players are using his moves, you know? All right, but check out this argument. Shaq is the only 100 overall player in 2K history. <laughs> that's hey that's a kidding <laughs> I remember seeing that. I think that's so that's so weird I, I, sport overall ratings in general are pretty weird but not with that uh, I think in the case of a draw we'll give each other we'll give half points oh yes yeah with that being said here's uh here's how the standings are looking right now Christian with the respectable four Ruben with a commanding seven and a half, and me with a meager two two point five right now. You know, I, I had a. If you weren't here for the first time we ever did this, uh, I, I had a pretty solid lineup, but a lot of the guys had big men. That, that kind of you know set the tone for how we do this Mo now. Bom- yeah, Mo Bamba beat uh, what was it, Jason Kidd or some shit? That being said, if you've made it to this part of the episode, subscribe, follow, leave a rating, all that good stuff. Uh, so, this was only a single round. With that being said, we are going to be recording full-length episodes of this. So, how that would work, we would each get three players, because we all know, you know, the five-on-fives on the blacktop can get a little... Uh, <laughs> can get a little too much so we're going to do nice three on threes it's going to be three rounds of one on one on ones and then at the end the thing to decide it all is who has the best three you know not necessarily three guards against two centers and one guard but it'll be it'll be it'll be equal in a sense it'll be kobe against ricky davis 100 (laughs) percent. kobe bryant is going to be going up against uh darko milicic (laughs) wonderful Darko Milicic would win because he is bigger. Darko Milicic would win because uh, he is the human victory cigar. And yes, he is 6'11", and Kobe Bryant is a measly 6'6". With that being said, though, this has been another episode of the Blacktop Podcast. We appreciate y'all tuning in. Ruben and Christian, you got any closing remarks? I say it's deuces. Thank you guys for tuning in. We love y'all. Respect. All right, with that... (laughs) 
Uh, stay safe, stay blessed, and we'll see y'all soon.